everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Rethinking Supply Chain. I'm Diana, and I'm here with your host, John Abrams. Today, we've got Sean Copeland back with us. If you missed the first episode, make sure you go back and listen to learn more about his company, Boex International. Sean is a founder at Boex, a blockchain supply chain service provider, and he's back today with John to chat more about the 5,000 years of tradition they chatted about last time, and they're going to be doing some imagining of the future as well. Hi, Sean. Hi, Diana. Hi, John. Good to be back. Hey, and uh, glad you're here. Uh, one of the things we talked about last time is that it's it's always a little bit frustrating to me that when I go to uh, an investor or I go to a, a large supply chain company and I suggest that hey, uh, things could be better if we lean more into the digital side of communication between trade partners. And and by that, I mean, I'll just, I know you know, but I'll just give an example and then we'll, we'll play with that. If I'm, uh, if I'm a large enterprise size shoe manufacturer, uh, I, the extent of my internet engagement or even my engagement with my trading partners is largely through what I think are marketing approaches. So if I go to buy shoes, I might go to that manufacturer. That manufacturer may actually not even sell me a shoe. Uh, it may just be marketing promotional material. Uh, and and that's changing. There's a lot of manufacturers that are now starting to open the doors to sell, selling their product. Uh, direct to consumer. Uh, but what's more interesting to me is that if if I were a trading partner, so I was the rubber supplier or I was the downstream retailer or I were almost any element of supply chain interacting with that large global manufacturer, I do it through these very, in my view, arcane ancient ways of tradition. So I'll send them a fax, or uh, maybe if you remember EDI, uh, maybe maybe my supply chain is alerted to inventory levels through an EDI uh, packet that goes out over the point-to-point connection. And it just seems to me that 30 years after consumers started embracing the internet, which is really all it's been, 1990 till today, it seems to me that uh, the investment and the interest seem to lag. And in our last episode, you made a comment almost dismissively about, well, pre-pandemic. Uh, and I want to pick up on that because I think things are happening so fast in supply chain now because of the pandemic. And the pandemic laid bare all of the inefficiency or much of the inefficiency of today's supply chain. So maybe let's start there. First, how come you were so quick to call out the pandemic? Well, funny enough, we were uh, approached by a number of people uh, wanting to use our system for PPE. Uh, oh. And because of my experience in payments going back into the 1990s, let's just say an incredible number of red flags were raised uh, in, mm. in the process, because you, you have people trying to get to the, the finish line um, and cutting corners all over the place. And with us, we don't want corners cut. We want things very detailed, easy to do, but detailed, right? Because you're, you're creating uh, 
contracts with our system. Um, and so, so because our uh, most of our listeners won't be familiar with your uh, blockchain uh, uh, capabilities, but it distinguish contracts five years ago to contracts that can be authored using a blockchain mechanism. Well, if you go back, I mean, you go back to the facts uh, or, or even email documentation, um, you know, people, people do up a document, they send it off maybe to the lawyers, maybe not. Uh, then they think they both have an agreement, um, you know, and, and they go forward. With a blockchain, you can literally go word by word or, or letter by letter if you want, um, and you can say, yes, I actually agree with that. And you, you can get that finely detailed. And you might think, yeah, do I really need that? Well, it turns out, you know, about 10% of companies do at some point need that because they're going to have to go to a court to deal with a problem with their with their trade. You know, and that's what we look to, to deal with. So so you're, you're um, maybe embedding trust into the uh, the digital connection. So, so supply chain, if it's going to move off of what we've come to trust, which is a fax machine, or sometimes even we trust an email, if we're going to move away from those, what I think are really outmoded and outdated mechanisms of doing trade into something that is more efficient, you need to wire in that trust. And that's essentially what you guys are doing, right? Correct, correct. And, and the nice thing for us is um, the blockchain structure actually matches the legal confines of trade. It creates yeah. trust. Yeah, and and can be audited and is timestamped and is, has geolocation capabilities. And so uh, one of the things I was, I was joking about uh, in our last show is uh, – if you and I rent some office space in in the uh, port of Singapore, we can watch all of this trade happening from around the globe. And I'll, I'll just tell you why I pick out Singapore. I was working for a large healthcare distributor. And uh, most of the time when I was traveling, I was traveling to plants like in Thai, Thailand or China. And, and uh, one of my bosses said, you know, you need to go visit the Singapore office. And I said, what, what's in Singapore? Uh, you know, there's no factories there. The land is too expensive. Why Singapore? And they're like, yeah, just go visit the office. So I go visit the office and it's this little office and it is the most valuable office we have in the company because what they're doing is clearing all of the trade through the port of Singapore to get all sorts of different advantages. So if the origin port now is Singapore into, I don't know, uh, Germany or Singapore into Canada or Singapore into the U.S., there's different advantages. And so you basically cross-dock or even just clear the port, and now all of those goods have a different point of origin. And I'm simplifying. But it's amazing to me that you have this massive port, and it's essentially a cross-dock, nothing more. And it nobody manufactures in Singapore, nobody builds in Singapore, it is a cross dock that allows legal and other tax advantages to take place. And that to me is something that if your vision of, of transaction auditing and such comes to pass, 
I think the Port of Singapore goes away. Physically. Physically. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know. Because because you don't need that physical change anymore. Well, physically, you don't and, but am I wrong? And and why isn't why isn't every finance person in the world and every lawyer why aren't they waking up to that reality? At this moment in time, I would argue to you there's a little bit of fear mm. um, in 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 terms of of where we are and where we are going. Um, you know, there's a little bit of geopolitical instability. People are concerned about you know if I do this or if I do that, and. You know, I get that. It's reasonable. And yet that 5,000 years of law is actually pretty clear on the matter. And mm. every country, uh, including North Korea, um, you know, has agreed to these these rules. And yet I think that they are so they are written based on linear physical uh, trade that that can now be displaced or at least challenged by trade that can occur. At least, you know, the physical product still has to move. I, I, I get that. We're not going to materialize a product that I buy. But the way I buy it can change pretty radically, given the trust structure that you talk about uh, deploying. Correct. But I, I would actually say to you, John, that in 10, 15 years, the materialization of the product will be able to occur when the three-dimensional printers, you know, massively improve. That's going to be a fundamental shift in the delivery of the product, but not the uh, creation of the product. At that point, you're going to be dealing with, um, in a real way, somebody will come up with an idea for a product, but it will be content that will then be translated you know, and that's going to come down the pipe. The funny thing about that, again, is that the trade law that we have existing today still can manage that, but it can't manage it based on paper. It has to be electronic. Well, and it can't make it. It can't also uh, keep up with uh, in in that story, which is a really powerful story that I have a three D printer in my in my office and i i buy a product uh through uh through the internet if you will uh so my transaction is cleared the the author of that intellectual property maybe a manufacturer in the olden days but maybe not in the future could be uh, done in many ways but once that product starts to materialize in my office through my 3d printer so much of of law is based on the physical manifestation on a product of a product on a dock and, and rights change and ownership changes and, and, and all of that. And, and so we are, and I don't know that I read articles very frequently about the massive change that a supply chain that doesn't have to be linear. I don't read a lot of articles about the implications of that. And I think they're massive, profound. They are, but part of that is the way we think as humans, right? We, we think start, finish, straight line. Mm. With the supply chain, even as it is today, think almost like a geodesic dome with all those little points all being interconnected. And that's all that's going on um, simultaneously, right? Mm. But to understand that, 
is very difficult for people. It's much easier to say, you know, I'm ordering my running shoes from Amazon. You know, FedEx or UPS is going to deliver them at some point, and I'm going to be happy. You know, like like people think that simple. I was uh, I, I was a young manager uh, back in the day, and uh, actually, I was in newspapers. Uh, I think you may know this. Uh, I worked for out of college, worked for Chicago Tribune and then Tribune Company. And I was uh, working with uh, somebody we both know, John Gage, who was a founder at Sun Microsystems and an early Internet proponent, uh, along with his good friend, Vint Cerf, who's uh, who's still around. And, and they're both still around, but uh, uh, doing different things. And uh, uh, I was taking the idea of... Uh, HTML to people in the world of newspapers and saying it was transformational and we needed to do certain things about that. And one of my mentors said, if you go to them with a 3% improvement for next year, they'll believe you. If you go to them with an improvement next year that is 3,000%, they won't pay attention. And I, I, it's kind of interesting. Newspapers did exactly that. The the change was so massive that newspapers couldn't process it and didn't process it and had been displaced, uh, really, by virtue of the Internet. I think that's what you're sort of saying, is that people in many industries and in you know, support services like legal can't really get a transformation from linear to network, if I'm going to take your geodesic dome idea. That's a network. Uh, model. And I think that's very hard for people to process. But I'm curious, uh, given we started this conversation about the pandemic, how quickly is the pandemic pushing people to rethink or embrace a different way? I would say considerably. We're having conversations right now with uh, insurance managers, um, hmm. you know, and building out a, a, a consortia of people in that field. So insurance managers and insurance managers who are suddenly requiring this information and suddenly realizing that information they used to be able to get, um, they don't get anymore. And it causes a, a, a problem for when they're doing their work. You can't really do analytics when you're missing part of the data. Um, you know, so, so as they're realizing this, the, 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 the need to get it is, is profound. And that's where there's a lot of press, uh, pressure from. Yeah, and I, I think people are, uh, I, I was reading a real estate post uh, today, and it was saying we've come uh, uh, 10 years in six months, and uh, meaning the you know changes in the physical work environment and, and all of that. And, and so, but I think there are changes, as, as you described, that are happening in other parts, uh, the parts of supply chain where you and I are more focused. I'm curious, when do investors, so so people at the operational level, so I get an insurance company saying, heck, I can't figure this out anymore, what's going on, and pivoting to try and embrace a new model. The broader, uh, when I look at startups and venture investment and such, how, because it's still not there, I I tell people all the time that I'm an early stage supply chain company and they, the response is supply chain works great today. Why do we need innovation there? 
which is always a great opening for me. But uh, but when do the money people start saying, yeah, this is worth betting on? That's always a good question. So let me go back to payments. When we started out payments, there was very few people in it. We processed about $1.6 billion in the mid-1990s with a 10% MDR. We could not get uh, investor types to realize this was sexy. The vice president of Visa International thought, oh, this is just sort of like a cherry on top. You don't know. And it's like, you guys don't know what's coming, right? Eventually, you know, they did pick up the phone and say, hey, we're interested. But by the time they got to that point, that 10% MDR that we were getting had gone down to 25 basis points. It wasn't, from our point of view, it was no longer sexy. But to the investor, that was sexy. Uh, you know, I can't do that math, but... Yeah, I, you know, it's it's like when we were trying to get money in the, you know, try and sell a dot-com in 1989. It, it, you, just, you couldn't. It, it, people didn't understand it. It wasn't possible. And, uh, and I feel... I'm, and I'm just curious. I'm sure we're starting to run short on time, but uh, maybe let's let's end with this because I think you and I saw things at the early part of the internet uh, that that all came to pass. I haven't had a feeling like I do today about supply chain and the the kind of network effect that's hitting supply chain. I haven't had that feeling since 1989 and the early days of the internet. I'm curious, do you, do you see it that way? Is that the feeling you get? I, I do. I mean, we, we got out of payment processing directly, if you will, and, and jumped into the supply chain because we see that as the opportunity. You know, it, it might be boring because people expect that they're going to get their product, but there's a lot that goes on to get that product to you. And the investor class will, they'll catch up. Yeah, I, I think they will too. I, you know, what I say today, post-pandemic, to people that say, "Why are you investing your energy in supply chain?" and I'll point to, you know, do you do you have an adequate supply of toilet paper yet? And the answer in many parts of the country is still, or parts of the world is still no. I, you know, I have yet to find the brand of toilet paper that we used to buy pre-pandemic. It doesn't exist, and it doesn't exist not because there's fewer trees or there's fewer manufacturing or any of that, doesn't exist because of all of the imperfections in supply chain that have come uh, to become very visible in supply chain stress. So, Sean, uh, really great talking to you again. Uh, Diana, if you could help us wrap up. And uh, Sean, love to have you back again in the future. I'd love, love just spending time with you. Anytime. Totally enjoy it. Thanks so much, Sean, for joining us for another episode of Rethinking Supply Chain. Before you go, can you please just let people know where they can find you and where they can find Boex? Uh, Boex is located at boex, B-O-E-X dot biz. And you can reach me by email at Sean, S-C-A-N period A period Copeland, C-O-P-E-L-A-N-D at boex dot biz. Perfect. Thank you. And we will add these in the show notes as well. Um, so you can go ahead and click the link there. Well, thanks again, Sean, so much. And thank you listeners for tuning in. We will be back again soon with another episode. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Supply Chain podcast. It's brought to you by Venzi, Intelligent Product Content Distribution for Enterprise Commerce. Learn more and say hello to us at venzi.com. That's V-E-N-Z-E-E.com.